Good morning. You may have noticed that this rainfall season has been rather dismal. So this morning, we're going to speak with two local water leaders, Beth Salamone and Sean White. Beth works for Russian River Flood Control, and Sean works for the city of Ukiah. Today, we're going to discuss the water situation in inland Mendocino. Good morning, Beth. Good morning, Sean. I want to start if you guys, with both of you guys introducing yourselves to the audience. How about we start with you, Beth? with the district for a number of years, but as the general manager only for a year and a half. So um, this has been a very exciting year and a half. <laughs> and um, I, I really jumped into the deep end um, in an empty pool. So <laughs> it's been kind of exciting. We are the, our district manages the approximately 8,000 acre feet um, of water from Mendocino County in Lake Mendocino. We have contracts that are about half from municipal suppliers, such as Willow, Millview, Alpella, uh, County Water Districts, and we and Regina Mutual Water Company. And then the other half is agriculture, which um, are contracts directly with farmers along the river. Thank you so much, Beth. And what about you, Sean? Yeah, my name is Sean White. I'm the Director of Water Resources for the City of Ukiah. I've been here uh, about five years now. Before that, I, I did what Beth is doing, and before that, I worked for Sonoma County Water Agency. Okay, so this morning, we're going to discuss a few things. We're going to start by discussing the general water situation in inland Mendocino, including talking to Beth and Sean about where inland Mendocino water really comes from. We're also going to discuss how to preserve water this year, as we know we're already in a drought. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about how climate change is impacting the drought situation and the water situation in inland Mendocino this year and what the future of water security in inland Mendocino is. To start, I want to talk, and I'll ask Beth about this, about where our water comes from in inland Mendocino. Well, um, it comes from a few places. Um, the we start sort of upstream. We have Lake Pillsbury that feeds into the Eel River. And there's a diversion at the north end of Potter Valley. It's called the Potter Valley, the, the whole entire project, Potter Valley Project. And water is diverted from the, the Eel River, a very small amount um, from the totality of the Eel River, through into the east fork of the Russian River, which flows through Potter Valley and into Lake Mendocino. So Lake Mendocino is our main reservoir here in, in the Ukiah Valley area. And it's fed by this diversion and as well as uh, rain runoff and that sort of thing. Uh, then it's released into the uh, main stem Russian River. Um, that that uh, east fork, the lake joins with the west fork, which runs through Redwood Valley. So there's some runoff that happens along the rivers as well. And then um, that Russian River moves down through our county and into Sonoma. And we also have um, a very strong groundwater um, source, which I'll let Sean talk about, because that's his area of expertise. Wonderful. Thank you, Beth. I would love to hear about that, Sean. Sure. There is a pretty uh, large aquifer um, in the Ukiah Valley. It is not sort of evenly spread. Um, there's certain areas in the valley that uh, don't really have any groundwater. There's parts of the valley that have groundwater um, but it's not really usable for uh, ag or municipal supply because some natural constituents that it has like uh, boron, um, for instance, or manganese. And then there's sort of above uh, really good water that's sort of right in the area that people think of as Ukiah proper. And the city has uh, a number of groundwater wells uh, that access uh, that groundwater. Um, I would really like to talk about what the water situation is like this year. Beth, you mentioned Lake Mendocino as one of the major water sources. How much water is in Lake Mendocino this year, and how does that compare to normal years? Um, currently, I believe it's about 35,000 acre feet. Um, normally, I don't have the statistics off the top of my head, Sean, you may, what it normally would be at, at this time of year. Yeah, normally this time of year, you'd hope to be at elevation 748, which is around 75,000 acre feet or so, somewhere in that neighborhood. 
So if I'm understanding correctly, that's around half of the water that we usually have around this time of year in Lake Mendocino. I would actually say it's less than half, right? So in, in a good year, you hope for 748, but there have been plenty of years where um, it's well above that. You know, um, when we have good water years, we like to retain uh, above that amount. So we have plenty going into the fall. So like uh, in 2010, we got to elevation, I think, 758 which it was almost 100,000 acre feet or something. It was a lot. So I think, uh, you know, 75,000 is sort of the bare minimum that we like to see uh, going into a fall, and that will leave the reservoir pretty pretty low at the end of the year. But where it's at right now for this time of year it is really low. Uh, this would be sort of the volume you would expect to have at the end of a dry year in November or October prior to the onset of rain. And it's what we have now after the end of the rainy season. And that's what makes it uh, rather unique. I think we've seen this elevation a bunch of times, but never this time of year. Wow. So I just kind of want to repeat what Sean just said, which is that usually the elevation we're seeing right now is what we see all the way at the end of summer when it's a about to then the rainy season is about to start again and now we're seeing it right at the end of rainy season when we're supposed to see our reservoirs being the most full yes and i wanted to remind listeners or actually tell listeners that at the end of this show we're going to have time for call-ins and so you guys can ask questions about this very truthfully very worrisome topic and complicated topic and so now i wanted to discuss a little bit we talked about how low these reservoirs are and what the water situation is, but what does that really mean on the ground? Yes, there's not a lot of water, but what's that going to mean for residents of inland Mendocino? Beth, would you start with that? Yeah, so with the exception of the city, since we have our our city representative here to speak on that, the other municipal suppliers in the valley, they all depend on that surface water that is stored in Lake Mendocino and flows through the Russian River. So when we're looking at the low storage level in Lake Mendocino, um, you know, we're looking at how low can we go, essentially? When, is, um, when do we have to stop diverting due to water quality and um, infrastructure issues, which is all being looked at right now? And when we have low flows in the river, it can sometimes make it difficult for diversions to regular rate of diversion, that sort of thing. So local residents of the districts and suppliers outside of the city should be expecting to receive notice from their water supplier within a month, likely as, um, requiring mandatory conservation. That's the last uh, that I've heard is the plan. The boards will be reviewing that this month, what level of conservation, and I, I believe they're skipping right to mandatory instead of voluntary. It is a very dire situation um, people will be probably required to stop watering their lawns and their landscaping um, to reduce household use by anywhere from 20 to 30 percent, possibly even more as the year goes on. It's time to really start thinking about how we use our water and where we can cut back. And there are a lot of resources for that, which I'm sure you'll you'll circle back to and um, talk a little bit more about outreach. Yeah, I will. And so I actually want to discuss a little bit more what you about what you just said. You said that local residents will get a notice within a month that they will have to start reducing their water use, and that's going to be mandatory. Could you specify what local residents that will be? What people should be watching out for that letter? Well, I just want to be clear. I'm saying... I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm suggesting people be, be prepared for that letter to come. That is not coming from my district. Um, it will come from their direct water suppliers, and their boards are considering that action this month. So this is a good month to pay attention to the board meetings of your water suppliers. Um, and, it will, you know, it, we're, the, situation is, the situation isn't changing every day, but the understanding of the situation is changing every day, the projections, um, the implications. So as we learn more about how we're going to manage 
the small amount of water left available on the surface in the in the reservoir in the river, then these districts and, and suppliers will have better information to provide to their uh, customers. That's we're still working on that right now. How much is available, and and how will that be parsed out? So this is this is a really important time for people to pay attention. Uh, watch the mainstream media. You know, keep an eye on your correspondence from your water supplier and attend the board meetings if it's a it's a special district. Okay, and it's time to start paying attention not just for residents of inland Mendocino and all of Mendocino, but the whole state of California. Um, the Department of California Water Resources released a letter last month saying that 95% of the state is in some sort of drought condition. And again, this is just at the beginning of rainy season. There wasn't a lot of rain last year. There wasn't a lot of rain this year. So not only are residents in and around the Ukiah Valley looking at at a shortage of water this year, but all residents in California should be starting to prepare. And that's I kind of want to transition over to to how to prepare for water shortages. So I was wondering if you guys could speak a little bit about different ways that you can think of to start reducing water use on a personal level and preparing for what seems to be what's going to be a long summer coming towards us. And Sean, would you be able to start with that? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, most... Um Domestic use really isn't domestic use. Uh, most uh, residential use during the summer is for for irrigation, so um, outdoor, you know, ornamental landscaping. So if you're looking to save water and save a lot of water, um, that's where you're going to do it. Uh, typically in a city, uh, it's not uncommon for a house to use maybe. Uh, you know, like I know my own use is around 50 to 75 gallons a day during the winter time when that's really just your indoor use, your toilets, washing machine, et cetera. And that's for a full household. And as soon as you start irrigating landscaping, it'll go to several hundred gallons a day. So folks are really looking to save a lot of water. That is your, your best bet, especially in Ukiah where it's hot. Uh, and the ET is very high during the summer months. That's that's your best place to save a large block of water. Beth, do you have anything to add to that? I know from previous conversations that you are doing a lot on a personal level to start reducing your water use. Would you like to add? Yeah, sure. I you know knowing what I know and doing this every day and seeing what's coming ahead, I, I sort of stay sane from from it by doing a little bit extra at home. It just makes Feel like I'm, I'm pitching in a, on another level. So I, I just pulled out some um, plastic tubs and bins that I, or um, buckets that I have. And so when I'm washing the dishes by hand, um, I simply run a little water in those buckets instead. And then I use that to water the pot, potted plants outside. Um, same thing when you, when you wash, you know, running your um, shower or bath and, you, you know, there's the cold water. You're waiting for the water to warm up. I just stick a bucket under there, and then I've got that bucket to do some of that outside landscaping that Sean's talking about. <clears throat> so there's ways, you know, you can offset your indoor use a bit to support keeping your plants alive. We're, we're looking at, you know, a lot of folks have invested in their landscaping, and, and that's understandable. If you can use that, re, you know, use your water twice sort of thing inside and take it outside to keep your plants alive, it's not a thriving year your landscaping it's going to be a surviving year okay. those are pretty simple ways yeah i also think that the buckets are really helpful to let us you know to remember how much water we're letting run you know, if you turn off the water while we soak up our hands for 30 seconds that's a great reminder and so i want to switch over now we're about a quarter way through our show to talk a little bit about the future of water in mendocino so we're in this really bad drought situation. And the thing is that there was another pretty bad drought just a few years ago. And so what are you guys looking at as water managers and water leaders in the county of ways to increase water availability during drought years in the future? 
And Sean, would you be able to start with that? Sure. Um, you know, I think you need to think about water like you think about other resources in your life. Uh, you know, uh, if it was money, any uh, financial advisor would tell you to have a diversified portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, and I think that's what you need to do when it comes to managing water as well. So uh, here at the city, we've sort of done that. Um, we have uh, surface water plants and diversions for when the lake is uh doing well and the river uh, has sufficient water. But we also have groundwater resources for times when uh, the river is not uh, performing. And then we also um, went through the exercise of building a, a recycled water system over the last couple of years. And recycled water in particular is a, a very uh, drought resistant or resilient form of supply. Um, because basically, uh, when it really gets down to the nitty gritty, the one thing people still do is go to the bathroom. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the one thing you can't stop doing, even during a drought. Uh, and it's uh, a very uh, res um, drought tolerant type of uh, supply. So we put that water uh, back into circulation as well. So I, I really think, you know, you need to have uh, a multitude of uh, resources to um farewell in a uh, you know an arid mediterranean climate like like we have mm -hmm. so i just wanted to remind listeners that this is lana cohen with kzyx this morning we're talking about water security in inland mendocino with sean white from the city of ukiah and beth salamone from russian river flood control and sean you were just talking about Water for going to the bathroom. And that brings me to what I think is a really important question, probably one that many people have. I was wondering if there is going to be water, enough water for everybody in the county, everybody in inland Mendocino, to continue using it for health and safety needs. That's going to the bathroom, showering, bathing, drinking water. Do we think there's going to be enough for that? Yes. I do. You know, um, it, water rights are an interesting deal, uh, but basically there's a whole hierarchy of who gets water and when, depending on how old their permit is and what type of permit they have. Um, but when it gets down to brass tacks, like we're going to see this year, uh, all that sort of gets thrown out the window and it, human health and safety is what gets prioritized. So, there, there's going to be certain things um, that are, are going to be um, not available for certain uses this year, uh, but human health and safety is what always gets prioritized. Um, you will see, though, um, because there is a disparity in uh, the water portfolios between areas in the Ukiah Valley, that the level of sacrifice that homes are going to have to make will will vary significantly. So if you're in an area that is already water insecure, like uh, Redwood Valley, they're going to be on the absolute bare minimum. And if you look at some of the other areas, say like Millview or Willow, they're in a slightly better position. Um, they're going to probably have some uh, level of uh, conservation that's going to be required. And then if you're in a place like the city, it will be slightly less draconian. Um, so in the end of the day, yes, uh, there will be water for human health and safety for everyone. Uh, the level of sacrifice folks are going to have to make will vary depending on um, where you're at. Draconian, that's a pretty big word to use for water. I think people are... Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. But... I've seen it before, you know, in 2014, 2015, Redwood Valley was on human health and safety very early in that game uh, because of their water supply situation. And I think they were down to about 25 gallons per person per household for uh, an extended period of time. And, uh, you know, in California, the average home uh in the normal years it's 220 something gallons per person per day somewhere in that neighborhood so to slice it back to 25 or 50 or wherever they end up that it's, it's a significant lifestyle change for those folks that sounds like it and 25 gallons per person per day 
Is any of this enforceable? And if so, how? It is, it is enforceable in the end uh, because the utilities that provide this water are going to be held to monthly compliance schedules by the state if it's anything like it was in 2014. So in 2014, everybody has to turn in their monthly uh, diversions. And if you do not meet uh, whatever the prescribed metric is at that time, there, there are penalties. So their penalty is for the water providers, but what about individual users? Well, you know, those penalties trickle down. <laughs> they get paid by, by the users, so you're going to get fined one way or another. But I, I think really um, the real enforcement mechanism for places in particular, uh, like Redwood Valley, that are dependent on a lake that's going to be largely empty, is it's in your own interest to do your part, you know? Um, fines are one thing, but turning on a tap and having nothing come out is another thing. And the only way some of those areas are gonna make it through this season is by doing what they need, you know, by doing what they're told to do. Otherwise, you're just gonna have a tragedy of the commons and it's gonna be a long, ugly uh, September for, for those individuals. Yeah, that's that sounds like it. Now, I know earlier you said that it'll be more draconian in areas like Redwood Valley, but less so in places like Ukiah. But those places are basically next door neighbors. So could you explain a little bit why there might be more water available in the city of Ukiah and less available right next door? Sean, would you be able to start with that? Sure. You know, um, so again, it goes back to that diversified portfolio. Uh, and then it also goes back to uh, water rights and how those work. So uh, places like uh, Redwood Valley only have one real supply, and that is uh, Lake Mendocino, which is not a good year to have all your eggs in that basket. Um, they also have very junior water rights. So in any year, they get curtailed early, and they also have a um, subordinate contract with Russian River flood control. So they get cut off by flood control earlier. So their, their portfolio is not good. Um, the city is different. The city has very old senior water rights because this is where civilization happened first and that's how it happened. So, you know, this was the early uh, core community for the valley. So they have very senior water rights and they have uh, more sophisticated facilities. They have surface water facilities, they have groundwater facilities, and they have recycled water facilities, which uh, some of these other entities don't have. So um, it, that's why. I know that earlier this year, you guys were part of a task force or still are part of a task force working to make sure that everybody has access to water and that might touch on a situation like this where next door neighbors have different amounts of water. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you guys are doing to make sure that everybody has enough water and that water is shared across the board? Beth, would you be able to start with that? Sure. I, you know, and, and before I move on to that, I just want to say I, I, I really appreciate everything that Sean has just articulated. The disparity in our community is something that the water leaders are all aware of, and you're right, the task force, it's the Water Resiliency Task Force. It was formed um, around September of 2020 in response to the State Water Resources Control Board presenting at a, a regional watershed managers meeting um, to talk about the, the water supply conditions and their possible responses. And we sort of so the, the, the task force is co-hosted by the, my district, flood control district, uh, the city of Ukiah with Sean and the Mendocino County Farm Bureau with Devin Jones. And it was a way to provide a local forum for discussions about what this, how the state water resources control board might respond to the water supply conditions. That was sort of the immediate topic. But it's also a forum to talk about um, longer-term resiliency, which is uh, ties back to what Sean said with the disparity in our watershed. You know, bringing everyone in a more level playing field um, is 
a goal that I believe all water leaders have. Sean and I talked about this many times, how in our positions we can support the, the other suppliers in increasing their portfolio, as Sean said, which is incredibly important. So the task force has been meeting, um, and we've also been meeting with the State Water Resources Control Board staff. And uh, just this week, uh, that has expanded to include some other, um, many other diverters along the entire um, Upper Russian River watershed. So that would be anything um, sort of north of the confluence with Dry Creek or Sonoma. Um, and Sonoma Water Agency will also be joining in those talks. And what we're looking at is a collaborative effort to come up with a drought agreement is what the state is calling it. And it, the first steps will be, um, in addition to identifying the rest of the participants that need to be at the table, the steps will, will also include establishing how much water is actually available and what the losses will be over the summertime due to demand, not just from people, but evaporation and, um, you know, minimum in-stream flows, which, you know, account for riparian vegetation and fisheries, etc., and trying to parse out that, that amount of water, um, the question, who gets it, as Sean um, touched upon earlier. And in a situation as dire as we have, those, those priorities of rights, um, they, you know, this is why we're coming together is to look at those and see, to make sure that we have water for public health and safety. And also try to find some water that, you know, after those needs are met to allow the agricultural community to keep their assets alive, right? So they might not have a huge crop production year or even a minimal one, um, but we, we need to help them keep their vines and trees alive for, for their future their economic stability. So the Farm Bureau is very um, heavily advocating on that. And then, you know, we're going to continue these meetings weekly with the state and try to come up with an agreement that we can all live with. Hopefully when the, when the drought moves on <laughs> from this year, the task force will continue to meet and prepare for future years of drought and floods and everything in between. What are some ideas that you guys have to continue this preparation for future years of droughts and floods? It's looking like this might be happening more often. And so it's going to become ever more urgent to be ready for this to happen year in and year out. Yeah, we have um, the Groundwater Sustainability Agency, which I know, Lana, you've been following the work there. And Sean and I are both part of the Technical Advisory Committee and our entities are on that board. And it's a great forum to discuss the long-term health of the water supply uh, portfolio for the entire valley and the relationship between the surface water and the groundwater and aquifers. And through that development of that plan that is required by the state, we're looking at projects, small and large, that can assist in the water resiliency of our, of our area. I know the County Board of Supervisors is also exploring this. They have a water workshop on Monday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. where um, we'll be hearing a lot about water issues from across the county. I believe both Sean and I are presenting on that as well. Mm. Yep. And then you also discussed a little bit about the agricultural community. Can you discuss a little bit more, Beth, about what it's going to take to keep the agricultural community alive this summer? Well, right now, Devin Jones and I and a few others are working um, to literally reach out to each farmer and assess where their what conditions are for them, what backup supplies of water they have, what their needs are. Um, every day I have farmers that are my customers calling and asking me, hey, I just put it in an order for 7,000 vines. Should I cancel my order? <laughs> um, you know, trying to, like I said, they're on a level of trying to survive the year um, instead of thinking necessarily of flourishing. So we're working closely with the ag community 
Um, and in, and if any any agricultural interests, um, they should definitely be reaching out to the Farm Bureau as their advocate there. On the on the flip side, you know, I've been meeting with my team. We're going to try uh, most of our recycled water does go to agriculture, and uh, we're trying to maximize our supply this year. So at least um, that portion of the community can have a, a pretty reasonable year. Yeah, and the city's uh, contribution to supporting those those um, recycled water recipients is a great offset for the rest. So so they're taking less from the surface water, which will allow more by the other farmers. So, you know, in the ag community, it's very appreciated that there's this recycled water program by the city. Mm -hmm. And so we had a pretty recent drought. That was 2014. And before that, the biggest drought was 1977. It's looking like now we have these three big drought years. We have 1977, 2014, and now 2021. What do you guys think that this year is going to be is going to look like compared to those years? Beth, would you be able to start with that? Yeah, you know, from everything we've seen and talked about, I I I believe there's consensus that we're looking at something worse than 2014. Um, I was not a water leader in that year, though Sean was. So I, I you know, want to let him speak to that. Seventy-seven is a little bit different. Um, the 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 reservoir was younger. <laughs> um, we had fewer people. Um, you know, it, the environment has changed since then. So I don't know that I mean, we can let people know, hey, it's going to be bad, and it might be as bad or worse than, than 77, even for those who remember that. But I think for me, the, the hope is that when we get through this year, the it really pushes our community to step up and take responsibility for ourselves. There's no one coming to save us here. And unfortunately, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom to make big changes. I mean, we're literally hitting the rock bottom of the lake. And so I hope this is a call to the entire community that we need to support bringing funding externally into our community for water resilience. Okay. So this is a lot to process, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to you in around two minutes. Thank you so much. Okay, welcome back to Byline Mendocino. This is Lana Cohen. We're speaking this morning with Beth Salamone from Russian River Water Control and Sean White from the city of Ukiah. We're talking about water security in inland Mendocino. And now seems like a great time to open up the phones. We've talked a lot about what the water situation is going to look like this summer and going into this fall. So anybody who has any questions can call 895-2448 and ask questions directly to Sean and Beth. It's 895-2448. Hello, caller. Hello. Uh, Yeah, my name is Kirk. I live in Ukiah. And... uh I would like to see them address, um, and I don't know much about this, but uh, consolidation of water districts in the Ukiah Valley. I know that's been going on, but I haven't heard a lot about it. And, and it's actually, I think, a really good thing for consumers. Uh, so, And I'll just take my answer off the air. Um, well, and thank- a great program. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. Sounds like a complicated question, so I'm going to send that right over to Sean to discuss. Yeah, sure. I mean, this has been an ongoing topic for for many years. Uh, There was a big movement in the early 90s called the Valleywide Task Force that tried to do this. Um, But it's been a long road. Uh, There's a lot of governance issues in the way. Um, There are a lot of personalities and politics in in the way. But in the end of the day, um, achieving that would uh, really reduce or eliminate a lot of that disparity that we talked about today. You know, a lot of the smaller districts in the valley um, just don't have the capacity to achieve some of the things that we've been able to do here at the city because we have a sort of multidisciplinary team. Um, You know, even simple things like having people to apply for grants and then also having engineers on staff and all of those things are um, 
would have sort of led to this disparity. And then beyond that, you know, um, you know, they say many hands make small work, and having a, a larger unified entity um, gives you a big enough rate base, uh, and that is those many hands that allows communities to get larger projects off of the ground. And those larger projects are what really lead to uh, that diversified portfolio and uh, a resilient supply. Kind of interesting, um, I, I worked on this a bit uh, when I had a best position, we were trying to to merge uh, with the River Valley at that time to really help them get out of the horrible position that they're in. And, and that was scuttled for some of the reasons I, I led to previously. Um, but at that time, uh, Jared Huffman was an assemblyman, not in Congress, and uh, he had had a, a sort of series of similar issues uh, in his uh, home footprint in Marin regarding uh, wastewater. And they had done a lot of work to sort of figure out, like, you know, sort of what is the right size for a municipal agency to be, you know, sort of big enough to be effective. Um, but small enough to not be this giant bureaucracy that sort of takes on a, on a life of its own. And when you look at those numbers, you know, because when we were looking at consolidating, there was a, a lot of community pushback. I'm like, oh, my God, we don't want this giant behemoth, you know, wielding power over the valley or whatever. Um, but when you looked at combining everything, uh, I even included from Hopland to Redwood Valley, but we we're still too small. <laughs> to be right-sized, if you will. Um, so uh, that really tells us that if you take something that's too small to be right-sized and chop it up into the seven or eight districts that it is, um, we're, we're really harming ourselves by not uh, being a, a large unified uh, utility. I'd like to add to that if I could, Lana. Um, so. So there have been some efforts towards consolidation. Um, there's consolidation of services. So we have some uh, water districts that are holding contracts to operate other ones. So there's a, a management and services operation type of um, consolidation. That's not a formal um, district, though. And then they do have, they, there's a, the development of the Joint Powers Authority. It's called the Upper Russian River Water Agency. And that is an, another forum for bringing some of these districts together um, in more than just management consolidation. Another obstacle to the consolidation are the water rights, um, as Sean was saying, trying to even out that disparity and the expense. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of research that has to go into those. And when some, an entity like the city of Upaya is not involved in that consolidation, and it is these smaller districts, just as Sean said, there's, there are less resources to put toward the development of this consolidation or to even look outside for funding grants and, and such. So the, the Water Resiliency Task Force is sort of another step in the direction of, of consolidating services by allowing the managers to come together and, and work on the practical side of things. Um, it's a way to kind of sidestep the, the politics of it and just get familiar with, with one another working together and cooperating, especially in a, in a time like this. And Redwood Valley, you know, Sean hit it. We, we really need to find a way to, to help them with their water security and the the idea of annexing that territory into the Russian River flight control is still on the table. Um, our district is very willing to look at that and and see if that can help them with their water security. Well, thank you guys so much for responding to that question. I wanted to remind KZYX listeners that they can call in with their own questions to 895-2448. Any callers that are interested can call in to Eight nine five two four four eight. So it sounds like this consolidation issue is something that. Oh, one moment. We have another caller. Hello, caller. Uh, yes. Am I on the air? Yes, you are. Um, uh, this is a question for Sean. I'm wondering if the purple pipe 
project has been completed, and you're going to be able to uh, be distributing recycled water for irrigation this summer. Thank you so much. I'll hang up. Oh, thank you. Yeah, sure. Our recycled water system was designed in, in four phases, and to date we've completed three of them. Uh, and those are sort of the major backbone that goes from our, our wastewater facility, essentially parallel to uh, Highway 101 north to um, what people see from the freeway as the softball facility. So, so that is finished, and that will be uh irrigating a number of schools parks and ag uh, along that alignment uh, phase four which is where it sort of takes a, a hard 90 and starts heading west into the heart of ukiah is is not done uh, that is an engineering and uh, funding phase uh, at the moment um, so we do not have irrigation uh, available uh, basically west of highway 101 uh, for recycled water yet at this time However, part of phases uh, one through three uh, did include the construction of uh, two fill sites. So uh, they are not open yet, but we'll be opening them later uh, this season. And that will allow uh, residents of the city of Ukiah to basically come to our plant and fill up any containers they can fit in their vehicle safely. Uh, with recycled water and take it home and use it for irrigation uh, at their house. Thank you, Sean, so much for answering that question. Again, I'm going to remind KZYUX listeners that if they have other questions, they can call 895-2448. The number to call if you have questions about water security in inland Mendocino and want to ask Sean White or Beth Salamone is... 895-2448. Now we have another caller. Hello, caller. Yeah, hi. I, can I ask a question? That would be wonderful. Okay. Um, water recovery is also connected to gasification. I was wondering if it's possible to consider water conservation by waste gasification because if you get gasified the waste you can produce electricity water agri-char and you get rid of landfill it would be a part of the utility for ukiah as a utility district i was just wondering if waste gasification has ever been considered for water conservation. Thank you. Well, that is a very interesting question. Thank you so much. Do either of you have a response to that one? I do not. I'm not sure I really understand the question or the statement, um, but our uh, our wastewater facility is a fairly traditional facility that's not set up at this moment for uh, anything other than sort of traditional treatment. But I'd be interested if that person wants to reach out to me uh, through city email, swhite at cityviewkai.com to uh, explore that idea further. Well, thank you so much, Sean. That's really one of the things I love about community radio is the ability for people to communicate, for city leaders to communicate directly with the public. And now we have another caller. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Yeah, I have a, a question. I remember a number of years ago going to a uh, city council meeting with uh, with Sean, and I remember some of the members of the city council, Phil Baldwin was one of them, were really <laughs> worried about not wanting to perfect the city of Ukiah's water rights because they were worried it would cause more growth if that water was certified as available. And I just wondered what the current state of affairs with the perfection of city of Ukiah's water rights is. Thank you, caller. Sean? It's very, very nice to hear your voice, sir. I, I won't out you on the radio, but I know exactly who that is. <laughs> I ride my bike past your house on a regular basis. Um, yeah, so uh, the issue at hand at that time was that the city of Ukiah was uh, basically filing a change petition um, and that is how you modify any uh, appropriate right. And at the time, 
the strategy the city was taking, I, I felt was very myopic and was going to let that right sort of not go to use. And water rights do have a sort of a use it or lose it clause. So it is important to flex that muscle or, or, or the state will take it away. Um, I'm happy to report uh, that I've been working uh, with the city's uh, water rights attorney and consultants to prepare a new petition. And, and that petition will hopefully uh, greatly expand uh, the area where the city's generous water right can be applied uh, that would allow a lot of these areas that do not have a very reliable surface water right to have access to the city's right. Um, but to do that, it will take a community effort and maybe this emergency will do it. Uh, in the past, when the city has applied for these petitions, there there is a protest um, uh, sort of um, process that uh, neighbors can apply for and, and all of our neighbors actually protested uh, the expansion of the city's place of use for fear of uh, governance boundary uh, interference and that sort of thing. Uh, we've been working on it for a while and we're hoping to file it uh, soon and I think it will probably be a year like this year that will allow people to see um, the value of, of that effort, you know, it, it would make all the sense in the world for the city to share a water right that it could never really use on its own uh, with its neighbors that just don't have a good reliable right. Sean, I add a little bit. Can I add a little bit to that, Lana? I want to say, yes, you know, Sean has been really cooperative with the flight control district about this change petition in their license, and um, and there's a an offer there to collaborate the you know on prevent the protest. So I just want to applaud the city for being willing to sit down at the virtual table and <laughs> and discuss their plans and and listen to the feedback um, from the Russian River Flight Control District uh, about any concerns we might have regarding that so they can be addressed prior to that filing. Um, and then, of course, uh, with the hope that if, if the tables are overturned and, and our district is also filing a change petition, we would have that same support from the city, which I believe we would. And this it's the spirit of cooperation that I believe personally, Sean and I are very dedicated to um, while we, you know, before we retire, we have goals to, to get that collaboration um, within our valley. I actually have a follow-up question to that. And um, I wanted to know what that would actually mean for communities. We keep mentioning Redwood Valley because they are in a pretty bad water situation. And what would this change petition really mean for that community? Sean, would you be able to start with that? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> interestingly, our, our change petition will, will not include Redwood Valley. It will go basically uh, to the city's existing boundary for its sphere of influence, which ends uh, somewhere up by Calpella. However, um, what that would do if this were to go through um, the city's right that we'd be hoping to modify uh, all water rights have sort of a series of asterisks to go with them where you can use it when you can use it what you can use it for that sort of thing and, and ours is only uh available for use for for municipalities so we can't really serve ag um, or other things that you can do with say flood control water so what we're hoping to do that by making it available to our uh, adjacent agencies that they, they could uh, use our right to satiate their demand. That in, uh, in turn would free up water that they use right now from flood control. And then flood, con flood control could make that unused water available for uh, Redwood Valley. Okay. I just wanted to remind listeners, we probably have time for just one more caller, that if you have questions, you can call 895-2448. If you have questions for Beth Salamone from Russian River Flood Control or Sean White from the city of Ukiah, you can call in at 895-2448. So while we wait to see if we have any last minute callers, I wanted to talk to you guys and let you guys have give and give you guys the opportunity to say one last word to KZYX <laughs> listeners 
right now about inland water security. And Beth, you look ready to jump on. I'm ready. <laughs> I don't want to miss the opportunity. Um, well, I have your attention to talk about the Potter Valley Project. And Sean, please pipe in. Um, you know, the Potter Valley Project is so much more than just Potter Valley. Uh, it is how the water is, a small amount of water from the eel uh, watershed is diverted into the Russian River watershed, which equates to a great portion of the, the Russian River watershed water supply. We're very dependent on that. Uh, the relicensing through the, the um, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission of the Potter Valley Project that's currently owned by PG&E, PG&E is, is essentially selling it off. They don't, they don't want to take this on anymore. And locally, uh, many agencies have formed together into a partnership to obtain that project and relicense it. Um, it's all being done very quickly, and it's very expensive. We need local support uh, to, to move this forward. In a year like this one, without that diversion, it would be in so much worse situation. It would be un unbelievable. Um, currently, they are looking at removing Lake Pillsbury and reducing the diversions to only during the winter time when there's sort of a natural flow of the Eel River. Studies have to be done yet to see what that would look like. But in a year like this, when we have the diversion and we're still in this situation, it doesn't take much imagination to figure out where we would be. So there will be a lot more coming down, um, you know, the pipeline, so to speak, about the Potter Valley Project licensing. And I really encourage everyone to, to do a Google search, find out some more, um, look at the Farm Bureau website, Inland Water and Power Commission website, and, and find out information and pay attention. Sean, you want to add anything about that? No, I, but I do think it's a, it's a great way to end. You know, it is one of the major legs of our water supply stool, and it is something that uh, we all need to work together to um, make sure is is preserved. Okay, well, thank you so much. This was Beth Salamon from Russian River Water Control, Flood Control, sorry about that, and Sean White from the city of Ukiah talking about inland water security in Mendocino County, a very important topic in a drought year, which we are in right now. So thank you, listeners, and now we're time. Now it's time to move on. Thank you, Lana. Thanks, thank you. Sean. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Good